typical like kind of heroes of the Exodus story that um, we tend to think about or kind of gravitate toward. Uh, we think about Moses and we think about Joshua. Um, when you read about Moses, there's, there's Aaron with him. And uh, when you read about Joshua, there's a guy named Caleb. And that's what we're going to look at his story a little bit tonight. And um, This will be sort of about the church birthday, but not really. Um, and I think you'll see what I mean a little bit. Let's look at Caleb's story. Let's start in verse 6 of Joshua 14. It says, Then the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, in Kadesh Barnea, concerning you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt, yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot is trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever. Because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said, these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses, while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now, behold, I am this day 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then, for war and for going and coming. So now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. We'll hit pause right there. Um, so Caleb's 85 and ready to fight. Um, I love that. Uh, I was trying to think I don't know if you're like this, but I like when, especially when I read like Old Testament narratives, I try to like picture someone, and it usually ends up being someone from a movie. And um, I kind of like couldn't go. I kept going back and forth between uh, in Braveheart between like Hibbish's father, you know what I'm talking about? He's got the arrow stuck in his chest, and he just breaks it off and keeps fighting. It's kind of kind of him, and kind of like like uh, Grand Torino Clint Eastwood, <laughs> but not just not as racist. <laughs> Uh, um, but just like old and tough and like r thinks like I'm, I'm just as like ready to fight as I was then and he's probably right um, just I mean ag aggressive and just focused and like a little bit mean um, so here's this here's this guy Caleb and he's like I'm 85 let's do this Let's take the hill country. 
been waiting 45 years to take it, give it to me. Now, if I was watching this story unfold, a part of my natural wondering, which is part of the reason why I love the show Lost, a part of the way my mind would work is, what made this guy like this, you know? What happened to him that has him so determined and so focused and so ready to fight? What, what is it that happened? And if only the creators of Lost could be there to help us do like a flashback to see what happened to him. Turn to Numbers 13. This is where the writers of Lost got it from. Not really. When you go to Numbers 13, we get to see some of Caleb's backstory that helps us better understand exactly why this 85-year-old guy is ready to take the land. So in Numbers 13, here's sort of what's, what's happened up until this point. At this time, Caleb is, um, he's like 40 years old. And for the past two and a half, three years, um, they've been kind of hanging out in the Mount Sinai area where the Ten Commandments were given and all this kind of stuff. So if, he, if he's 40 years old at this, at this point, that means that he was born uh, a slave in Egypt. So from the time he was born until the time he was like 37, he was a slave. And at 37, God rescued all the slaves from Egypt and that's when the whole Exodus story goes down, and there's all the plagues. So he lived through the plagues. He, um, so he got to witness all that stuff. Um, he got to, uh, he's, he's one of the guys that walked across, on dry land across the sea and watched the waterfall on the chariots of, of the Pharaoh. Um, he was there at the base of Sinai when the, the Ten Commandments came down both times. Um, he was there. He saw the golden calf. Um, he has experienced just one incident after another of God showing up and doing the impossible. Uh, he's experienced all this. He's witnessed all this. Um, and so the last two or three years of his life have just been rocked. And so now, um, if, if you look on a map from where they were rescued from to the land that was promised to them instead of a straight shot God took them like on this weird path and it says in Exodus 13 that it calls it the, the roundabout way because God knew and this is what it says that that they were gonna if they faced war they would be afraid and they would turn back and they would run to Egypt so God took them in this 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 weird path and he took them that way to to teach them to trust him to, to earn their trust. So he brings them out, and you know, they have no food, and he provides food. They have no leadership, he provides leadership. They have no plan, he provides a plan. I mean, everything that they need, he just met every need, every need, every need, every need, for like two and a half, three years. And so at this point, it's time for them to begin moving toward this land that he has promised them, and there are people that live in the land already. And a part of God's plan is for them to go through and to conquer all the people that live there and to either kill them or just run them off or do whatever his plan is and for them to then uh, inhabit this land. And it's, it's a great land. It's, the Bible 
The Bible says that God describes it as the best of all the land. That as great as the United States of America is, this particular land was better than that. Better than anywhere on the planet. This is where God wanted them. And so Caleb, having grown up and seen all this stuff, um, now he finds himself in this leadership role. If we look in Numbers 13, look at 1 and 2. It says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan. Okay, that's the promised land. Um, which I'm giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of, the, of their fathers you shall send a man, everyone a chief among them. So the people of, of, of Israel, they were um, kind of segmented out by family bloodline and stuff like that into 12 different tribes. So there was one guy from every tribe that were put together, and they were on this, like, recon team, right? So Caleb is, is the guy from his tribe that was chosen to go and be a part of this spy mission to go and to check out what, what this promised land looked like and all this kind of stuff. We see kind of a description in verse 17. Um, it says, Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan, said to them, go up into the Negev and go up into the hill country and see what the land is and whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many, whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, and whether the cities that they dwell in are camps or strongholds, and whether the land is rich or poor, whether there are trees in it or not. Be of good courage. I like this part. And bring some of the fruit of the land. Bring back some grapes, you know. Um, and so he sends them out, and uh, he gives them a list of things to look for, 12 of them. Caleb is one, Joshua is another, and there's 10 other guys, okay? So they go in, and they, they travel, uh, it's like 200-something miles, um, and they get there, and they spend 40 days scouting out this land, um, trying to be able to come back and make a, an accurate report to Moses and, and all the people of Israel, um, just kind of scouting it out. Now, when you, when you read, a lot, of, uh, a lot of scholars think that this, this move, sending spies, was supposed to be an encouragement to the people of Israel. It's supposed to get them pumped up about the land that, that God was bringing them into. Like, this is the best land. And so instead of them coming into something they don't know anything about, uh, he's like, I'm going to send some people. They're going to come back and they're going to be like, you will never believe this place. This is so incredible what God's given us this. It was supposed to, as most people think, have this really positive effect. Um, Look at, uh, let's see, I'll make sure I wrote it down, 25. So they go and they check everything out. Verse 25, at the end of the 40 days, they returned from spying out the land. And they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told them, we, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. Uh, this is not exactly a pretty picture that they're painting at this point. So then Caleb, verse 30 says, But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Now this is more like uh, Dirty Harry, Clint Eastwood. Okay? So he's, he's younger, um, maybe like two mules for Sister Sarah. Like this is more of that kind of Eastwood we're talking about. So he steps up, 
when you but you see you see that um, remember like where we were we flashed back but this is still that same like aggressive like no 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 this is what he says it says let us go up at once and occupy it for we are well able to overcome it okay you see, there's that same attitude there's that same confidence let us go up at once and occupy it for we are well able to overcome it and then the men who'd gone up with him said we're not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land they had spied out, saying the land through which we had gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. Then all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And we saw there the Nephilim, the sons of Anak who come from the Nephilim. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. And what they're talking about, these are the... the um, this is the family line that uh, Goliath came from. So these were like, they were literally like giants. Um, and they were scared to death of them. So they saw these big, giant, strong people living in these big, fortified cities. Um, and here, and keep in mind, you have Israelites who, they had been slaves. They had been workers their entire life. They hadn't fought. They don't have any military training. They don't have any skills with a sword or anything like that. I mean, they're not, they're not warriors. And so they're looking at this land and looking at these guys that are like eight feet tall and big and strong, and they're trained fighters, and they're like, um, no, we can't, no. And so, look in chapter 14, it says, Then all the congregation raised a loud cry. Okay, great. Um, and the people wept that night. All the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that, that we had died in this wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will, be, will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly, the congregation, the people of Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who'd spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation, the people of Israel, here, here it is again, the land which we passed through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey, only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Then all the congregation said to, to stone them with stones. <laughs> Great. But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. So, you have two guys saying, let's take it. And, their, and their, their logic, their reasoning, has nothing to do with how awesome they are. And it has nothing to do with how incredibly strong and whatever the people are that they're supposed to go conquer. It has nothing to do with the circumstances of, of any of those things. The whole time they're saying, if God's with us and he has promised this to us, then it's, it's going to happen. And the other ten are like, there's no way, there's no way, there's no way. Let's go back to Egypt, let's go back to Egypt. And they just start whooping up the crowd. And they're like, yeah, yeah, let's go back to Egypt. And they're trying to speak up. And they're like, let's stone them. And then we can go back to Egypt. Like, it's just, 
It's this weird sense of rebellion that happens. And so all the people are worked up and they're ready to go back into slavery because it's safe and familiar. And they'd rather live as slaves than risk whatever is in the unknown of going into that land. Except for these two guys. And they're weeping over the rebellion of their fellow Israelites. They're weeping over them rejecting this land that God has promised them. And so if you keep reading, here's, uh, here, here's what happens. Um, Moses starts talking to God, and Moses and God have these great dialogues, and it's pretty, pretty phenomenal. So here's, here's what God decides. Um, the ten spies who gave the bad report, he just kills them right there. Like a plague or something, just dead. That's awesome to me. So all these tribes, they watch ten of their leaders. Okay, Their guy from their tribe just drops dead. But there's these two guys that are still standing. So God says, okay, y'all are dead. And then God says, um, everybody here in this, this whole nation, all this rebellion that's happened, everybody 20 and older, um, you're going to die here in the wilderness. Because 20 and older, those were the people, at the beginning of Numbers, they did a, they did a census. And so those were the people who were enlisted in the army, 20 and older. So they were the ones accountable. They were the ones who were rejecting the land, saying, we're not going to fight. We want to go back to Egypt. So God says, all you grown-ups, you're going to die here. You're not going to get to promised land, but you're also not going to go back to Egypt. You're just going you're gonna, to you're gonna die out here. And the, the land that you rejected, your kids are going to gonna know it. They're going to enjoy it. They're going to live in it. It's going to be theirs. They're not going to pay the price for your rebellion. So every one of you are going to die, except for these two guys. Except for Caleb, except for Joshua. Look what he says. Look in verse 24. It says, But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land into which he went, and his descendants shall possess it. Look at verse 30. No one shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. Look at verse 38. Of those men who went to spy out the land, only Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, remained alive. So, go back to Joshua 14. All right, so now we flash back to the present. Joshua is 85 years old, and he wants his land. Let's think about what Joshua has been through to this point. For 40 years, they wandered in the wilderness. So at age 40, he starts, they start walking. And he watched all those who were 80, 90 years old, he watched them die. And as he got older, the next generation died. And everybody keeps getting older, and people keep dying. And eventually, it's him and Joshua and all their peers. And they watch all their peers die. And he keeps getting older, and then the generation below him dies. And then another one. So, um, he's seen a lot of death. And so when God said... 
you're going to survive this. He had 40 years of watching that promise come true. Now, yeah, not a good time to be one of the other people, but a pretty phenomenal time to be Caleb. That he watched it over and over and over again. So from age 37 to age 85, nonstop he has watched what God said happen. Over and over and over again. So here he is at 85 saying, give me this country. Give me this hill country. If God is with me, I'm going to take it. Look again at verse 8. It says, My brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. I wholly followed the Lord my God. From 37 to 85, I have wholly followed the Lord my God. Give me the hill country. There's big, tall, strong people living in it. I don't care. God made us a promise. And I have yet to see him make a promise that he does not fulfill. Not once. And I wonder if he's thinking, y'all might all think that I'm nuts because I'm 85 and I'm ready to go fight, but I'm not crazy. God is faithful. We have every reason to charge the hill country and take it. Let's wholly follow the Lord our God. So then we see the end of the story. Verse 13. So then Joshua blessed him, and he gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for an inheritance. Therefore Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, to this day, because he what, wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. Now the name of Hebron formerly was Kirath Arba. Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim. And the land had rest from war. That last verse doesn't go into all this detail about the battle and all this kind of stuff. It just says that they changed the name of the town, of the city, from the most important and the greatest man in the people who were dwelling in it. They changed the name. So what does that tell us? He took it. He took it. In Joshua 11, there's an account of, of the same thing, and this happens a lot. We see it in the Old Testament a lot. Different, different passages kind of describe the same thing. So we know from Joshua 11 and from those verses that, that they were able to rid that like, piece of land of all those giants and all those fortified cities and whatever. And they scattered out, and it says that the remnant went different places, and a part of that remnant went to Gath, and that's where Goliath was from or whatever. And that's how dots connect in the Old Testament. And I think it's cool. So, what does this have to do with the birthday of a church? I don't know. I mean, I don't have, like last week I had like seven points and everybody's all, hey, Josh is organized for once. This is the exact opposite extreme. I know, I know one thing is that I want verse 8 
to be said of me. Like, I want to be able to say, um, I wholly followed the Lord my God. I want verse um, 14 to be said of me by other people. He wholly followed the Lord. I mean, what a great thing for someone to be able to stand up at your funeral and say. To make, you know, to tell funny stories or make jokes about, you know, different things you're going to miss. But at the bottom, I say, all that aside, this dude followed the Lord with his entire life. See, Caleb built his life on the faithfulness of God. And so he was able to look at these circumstances and say, yeah, that's, it's going to be a task for, for us, but if God's with us, then it's, it's going to be nothing. Yeah, there's some risk involved if we're just looking at it from our perspective, but seeing as that land right there was promised to us, um, I, well, I'm not going to re- reject it. Everybody I've ever known that rejected the promise of God, they died back there. We buried them. I watched them die. I watched 10 guys who rejected them die on the spot. It may, there may be risk in front of us, but because God is faithful, it's, it's really not risk. Not that kind of risk. It may be painful. It may be difficult. It, there will be trials or whatever, but God is faithful to us. And so... As an individual, like trying to figure, okay, what does this passage have to do with, with me? Like, that's a challenge to me to, to look at my life, and, and I think for all of us to look at our lives and say, okay, there's so much unknown in front of me. And then there are things that I know are in front of me, and they scare me to death. So there's a lot of mystery and very, very, there's mystery and there's clarity, and I'm kind of afraid of some of both of them. But my faithful God has promised me certain things as we go forward, as I go forward in my life down this path. Now, the promises of God there, that's a tricky, tricky subject. Because I know people who have built their, their lives on these promises that God never made to them. Thinking that God promised me this. Promises of God are found in Scripture. God did not promise you you're going to get married one day. God didn't promise you this particular person is who you're going to marry one day. God didn't promise you you're going to have kids. God didn't promise you you're going to have money. God didn't promise you that you're going to be happy every day of your life. And there's just all these things that we like to think he promised us that he doesn't promise us. Yes, he leads us in directions. Yes, he reveals his will to us and all this kind of stuff. But they're not promises. Promises are, I will never leave you or forsake you. Promises are, I have given you a new heart. I have put my spirit inside of you. That's a promise. I have a plan for you, and that plan is good. That's a promise. When you read that promise in context, there's like some bad stuff that comes as a part of it when you read that whole chapter. Even in the midst of the bad stuff, you're never by yourself, and it's never wasted, and it's never without purpose. And even though this world is messed up and broken and has its issues, I can fix all of it, and I will fix all of it, that is a promise. So as I look down my life and I see mystery and fears and all this kind of stuff, I have no reason to run back to Egypt because it's safe. I have every reason to go forward because I have this faithful God who has proven himself over and over and over and over and over again. 
It's so easy for me to get up here and say that and declare that and be like, let's take the hill country. We could have this, we could, we could whoop it up. I mean, it would be real easy to get pumped about it. However, I know that on a Tuesday, it's, it's a little bit harder to get excited about it. I understand the reality of knowing that truth, but struggling to have the courage to take the next step towards it. Believe me. And so then there comes this other promise where God uh, says, not only am I with you all the time, but um, I've given you this church, these lives around you, and you're all in the same boat. Every single one of you are in the same boat. And so you process this together. You move forward in this together. And you support one another, and you hold each other's arms up, and you, uh, the, like the paralytic guy and, the, and his friends lowered him through the roof. I mean, you, you have people that help you get there whenever you can. I mean, that's a promise that it's a part of his plan. Those are promises. So, I want to be like Caleb when I'm 85 or today, it doesn't matter. I want to be that voice that's like, why in the world would you not be obedient? Why wouldn't you do that? Why wouldn't you step into what he has for you? What are you waiting on? I mean, that's the weakest thing I've ever heard. I want to be that guy that's calming you down, like Caleb tried to calm the crowd down and say, You're, we're more than capable of going for this. He's put his spirit inside of us. He's never leaves us or forsake us. He has a plan for us, and he gives us that spirit to show us what the next step is, and he empowers us, and as we take it in faith, he's there, and he's surrounding us with people. I want to be that guy, and I want us to be that church. I, I get, you know, I get criticism from people uh, through the grapevine, of course, because very few people have the guts to just tell you to your face when they disagree. But I hear things, and one of the criticisms I've, I've heard from people as long as I've been in any sort of leadership is that I, I'm, I'm just not aggressive. I'm not aggressive enough. I don't have vision. You know, People have been critical of the ring, but they don't have any vision. They're not going anywhere. They don't have any vision. Okay? You want vision? Uh, to wholly follow the Lord our God. That's it. I, I can't... And we can, we can uh, you know, we have a mission statement and we have all these things and, and that's all part of the vision. But if you want to just kind of sum it up, at least for where we are now, we just want to wholly follow him wherever he goes. And that's, I, I don't know what else, to, what else to say. But it's not because we're awesome. It's not like, look at us, we're following the Lord with our whole being, with how cool we are. No, no, it has nothing to do with that. It's like, look... Um, because he is faithful, we have every reason to wholly follow him. And if, if he were not behind us, then we would completely fall on our face. So because we are completely dependent on him, we have every reason to go forward because the one we depend on is completely faithful. We've been through four years of ups and downs and awkward moments and really, really great moments and big questions and tough situations and, and things that, like, that there are some things that people have no idea happened. We've just been through a lot. And if we take the perspective like Caleb did when he, you know, he was like, uh, for 45 years I've been waiting on this. For 45 years I've watched the faithfulness of God. Let's go take it. Well, that's, that's where we are. We have four years of a faithful God meeting every need that we have 
answering every question that we have in his own time and in his own way. Taking care of us financially, taking care of us with a building and a place to meet. And when, that, when our other place wasn't available, he gave us another place that is available. And it meets all of our needs. I mean, like everything that we need. It's just, it's there, it's there, it's there, it's there. When people say, where's the ring headed? I'm like, I have no idea. But we're going to follow. How long do you think the ring will be at LCA? I don't know. He'll show us. People hate that answer. I love that answer. Some people, that doesn't make any sense. You don't have a timeline? No, I don't have a timeline. God does, so. Because he is faithful, we can wholly follow him. That's a lesson for the church as a whole. It's a lesson for us as individuals. I think it's challenging. I think it's encouraging. I think it brings up other questions. Um, But at the end of the day, we need to be like Caleb. Just give me that hill country. I will wholly follow him into whatever that is. Because he who has promised it is faithful. And that's all I really need to know. And so what we're going to do is we're going to sing two songs, and they both talk about the faithfulness of God. Go figure. But I think it's a way for us to corporately celebrate the faithfulness of God. You might be really, really new to our church. You might be here for the first time. It doesn't really matter because the faithful God is faithful in our church just like every other church. And so the best way for us to celebrate it before we go celebrate it through food and his provision is celebrate it as we sing these prayers together. So um, the band, y'all come on up. Let's Let's everybody stand together. Let's, uh, let's pray together. Father, um, God, we thank you for, for just the countless uh, evidences of your grace and your goodness in our lives. Um, God, that you have seen us through four years as a church. with every need that we have is being met, sometimes in the most creative ways I've ever seen. God, we thank you as individuals for your faithfulness. And you, it's not something that you have to convince yourself to do, it's just a part of who you are. And that when you make promises, you fulfill them. God, help us as we continue to try to build our lives on your faithfulness and to not get pushed around by circumstances or um, our emotions or any of the other just goofy things that tend to be so powerful. God, help us like Caleb to just to wholly follow you. Pray that that is just the way, it just becomes just the way we live. Not dependent on ourselves and not because we're trying to be whatever. 
We're just banking on you being yourself. And you tell us, you tell us we can do that. So God, as we sing these songs, um, I pray that it is just a corporate expression of our gratitude. But God, at the same time, I pray that, that you would just ignite something in us. you would give us that determination that we we see in Caleb because we're confident in who you are.